The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Hello everyone and welcome to the Echo Chamber. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor of The Homes Report and I'm here in London with two chaps I've known for quite some time as respected PR consultants who both have an exciting new role as co-authors of a new book on running an agency successfully. I'm not going to use the word veterans, but you have <laughs> both been around for a little while. Um, Richard Houghton and Crispin Manners, welcome to the Echo Chamber. Hi. Hi. Nice to be here. Thank you. Um, let's start with a bit of background, just so we can establish you as experts. Um, Rich, you've been a director at Everywhere. Fleischmann Hillard, you were CEO of Shandwick before it merged with Weber. Joint MD at Ketchum, partner at Cara, and for the past six years you've been running the Agency Doctor Consultancy. Is that all correct? Absolutely. Have I yes. missed out anything? No, I think that'll do, it, that'll do it for well, now. It's called a CV. It's now a LinkedIn <laughs> profile, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Crispin, you've been running Onva, another consultancy that helps agencies grow since 2011. And before that, you were, among other things, a director at Kaizo for a historic 34 years. Is that, or is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I helped grow Kaizo from three people up to... Number two, a performer over a decade. Um, so You know what you're talking yeah, about. Well, This uh, is good. As I said to Richard earlier, one of the reasons people should buy this book is because we made the mistake so they don't have to. Okay, this is, that's a good selling line. So the book, Grow, Build, Sell, Live, it's part of the PRCA's Practice Guide series, um, out this week. Yes, um, out this week. How did the book come about? What was the thinking behind it? Who's it for? Chris, do you want to kick off? Well... Uh, as you very kindly said in the intro, we, we currently advise quite a number of different agencies and we were having a chat about that and said we were amazed at how many of the same mistakes we had made other people were making and felt that there was a gap to provide a book that might point people in the right direction. Okay. So we were working on the book and actually the PRCA then came along and said, we're thinking about doing a practice guides. Uh, would you like to get involved? And we thought, well, that's a great conduit to get it out to the market. That's so perfect. that's how we got here. So um, who's it for? Is it for people who are at a specific stage of building an agency, brand new or a few years down the line? Um, it's all of those things, to be honest. It's people who are thinking about maybe doing it. Um, and I think think they would be a perfect target for this because if they get it started right they're less likely to be disappointed later um, it's for guys who are already on on the road um, and maybe want to want to want to want to do it a bit better and then you've you, you've got the the other the other group who um, are maybe getting a bit tired mm. uh, and and are looking for an exit and want, want to try and work out how they how they build some value back in to make themselves more attractive. Okay, so it's packed with with practical advice. Yep. Tell me a bit about the areas you cover, and does it have to be read from start to finish, or can you just dip in on the things mm -hmm. that are most pertinent? Um, no, you can definitely dip in. There are ten chapters, um, so you can read each one as a, a standalone if you want to, um, and it covers everything from setting a purpose for your organisation at the core of it, um, how to recruit, uh, retain, and develop your people. Um, it looks at how to run the new business, um, how to 
develop uh, a proposition that's differentiated, um, how to innovate both internally and externally, um, and what you need to do to make your business attractive to be sold. So okay. it, it covers the whole range of it. But as I say, you can drop into each chapter as, as you see fit. Okay. Now, we write stories every single week. I've got at least two in the pipeline this week about experienced practitioners doing brilliantly within um, a, a, a bigger agency structure who just want to go it alone they're starting their own agencies they're full of enthusiasm they've got it you know they know exactly what they're doing what are the main mistakes they are likely to make as they're going from from one form of uh, employment to being their own boss and and doing their own thing Chris Bim? Um, The first one I think people make uh, and I know I did is they don't actually have a purpose for their new business okay. uh, and I know purpose is a word that gets bandied around a lot but I think um, the one I the one I think they should focus on most is why are they doing it for themselves what do they want out of it what what is it going to deliver for them okay um, and all I think pretty much all our experience both Richard and I have talking to agencies is agency owners hardly ever ask themselves that question until until it's too late, until, they, until they're getting a bit tired and wondering why they have to keep working quite as hard as they are. Okay. Yeah. I'll add to that. I think the second biggest mistake people make is being a vanilla agency. Ooh. So they're not differentiated in any way. Um, and, you know, there are thousands of agencies in the UK, many of which look exactly the same. Yeah. And there's no mistake that we used two agencies, a very large one, Edelman, the world's biggest, as an example of a great differentiated proposition, Trust. And yeah. it runs through everything they do. And the other one we looked at was um, Frank and Talkability, which yeah. is a much smaller agency. It's an independent, or it's been bought and sold a couple of times. Um, and they have very differentiated propositions. It's easy to buy into them. Yeah. But importantly as well, they turn off people. The propositions aren't... They're, they're strong enough to attract and re- repel, as it were. Okay. So those are the two things that really jumped out to us. Uh, there is a third, and, and we do cover it in the book, and that is that rarely do people actually think about the value of what they deliver. So quite often what they'll do is they'll discount when they start yeah um and over service yeah i mean but uh, but i think you know if let's say uh, taking the example you had really good practitioner working at a very successful agency probably charge quite a lot of money for their services yeah. set up their own business and maybe charge half the price that absolutely makes no sense and they do it because they think they have a lower cost base mm. but uh you shouldn't build a successful business by being cost plus you should be all about um, charging for the value you deliver is that a bit about fear though as well not 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 really wanting to seem arrogant not really knowing your own worth and thinking that you need to start off in an unthreatening way uh i think i think that there's definitely an element of that in there um but but i think if people spent more time thinking about why a client should give a damn that they exist yeah um, then if they believe that they are very good at delivering whatever it is that the client would value, then I think that would, that would address some of those confidence issues. Yeah. Um, I mean, the reality is uh, one, one client that I helped, um, brilliant practitioner, uh, discounted by 50% what he used to charge in an owned agency, um, and it, when it got to the point where hadn't actually generated enough margin to hire anyone new and, and there were clients knocking at the door because he was good, mm-hmm. um, I had to go in and renegotiate his biggest contract. Uh, and the client um, doubled, agreed to doubling the fee 
uh, said I expected you to be asking for 10%, but agreed to double the fee because they knew they'd been getting away with the steal mm. of the century. So I, th- I think really thinking about challenging how good you are and how much you can charge for it yeah. at the outset because it's very hard to get the price up. Yeah, once you've I, started. Well, it doesn't happen, does it? Let's be honest. I mean, apart from unless you bring an outsider in, it's very unlikely. I think the other part of that is, apart from lack of confidence, is a, no, a failure to understand the sales process. Mm. And people get a bit confused between value and price. Okay. And they kind of go, well, I can't charge that because I'm not in a big network agency. Well, of course you can because the, the prospect is buying your experience. Mm. It's not buying the actual time you spend on the business. Well, Arguably, they're getting more for their money as well. I'd agree, yeah. Because you're focused on it in a way that you might not be if you've got you know, loads of other clients and managing junior staff and all the rest of it yeah. in a big agency. Yeah. I mean, it's worth mentioning as an industry, we massively undercharge anyway. Yeah, I mean, this you know, true. There's, you know, I've been doing this for <clears throat> 32 years now. And when I started out, uh, my starting salary was £6,000 a year, albeit out of London. Um, and there were clients spending £3,000 a month. Lots of clients spending three thousand pounds a month. Starting yeah. salaries are around eighteen to twenty thousand, so they've tripled. Yeah. Yet the fees are the same. So you can see that the issues and and if you've been trained or worked or grown up in an industry like that, then I think there's a lack of commercial savvy yeah. and uh, understanding of your value. Um, can we just wind back a bit to the purpose thing because we hear this the whole time about. Uh, agencies kind of retooling their offer to help clients articulate their purpose and communicate it. We don't hear a lot about agencies defining their own purpose. Why Why is this so important? Um, it's important because a, a, a well-constructed purpose um, that the owners really believe in um, effectively becomes a decision-making framework for them every day. Okay. Because um, if I think people running businesses end up making choices every day because they think they have to do things. Whereas if you've got something which is which is uh, f- framing your future for mm. you, then if it doesn't help you get there quicker, you shouldn't do it. Um, and you know, in the book, we, we use we use an example of two different purpose statements, which um, both both uh, could serve food clients. One is there to help uh, reduce the obesity burden on the NHS, and one is there to. Um, deliver award-winning creative work to food companies. Both are fine. Yeah. Nothing, you know. There's not one good one, one bad one. But if, but if you're, if you look at those two purpose statements uh, and you want to make a difference to the health of the nation, you're going to join one company and not the other. Mm-hmm. If you want to be involved with a really fast-moving, fun, creative agency, you join the, the other one instead. Um, and I think the more clarity you can give, the easier it is to attract and retain people okay. and clients. And uh, give yourself a sense of achievement every day when you wake up because you know you're getting closer to delivering what you expect. So a defined purpose statement isn't just a set of values or a woolly mission statement. It should actually be part of your business plan. Oh, totally. And from my point of view, as, again, as we go on to say in the book, what, what usually happens with purpose, particularly when delivered by agencies, is, is that they, they, are, they, they are a creative writing activity mm. as opposed to a fundamental description of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, and all the work that I think both of us do with our clients shows that even if those are brilliantly written at the top end, usually what happens in businesses, not just in agencies, is that they, they don't distill down to the individual. So the guy who's coming in every day and doing their job is looking at the purpose statement and going, well, I, I get where the company's going, but I don't know how I contribute. Right. So one of the things that we would really recommend to guys 
um, when they read the book, is actually sit down with your people and make the purpose real for the, their job role mm -hmm. and the work that they do every day so they feel like they're an active contributor. Is it true that not many agency heads have very good business management skills? I, I think that's... I'd, being a good PR man, I'll slightly turn that round and say many of them haven't had the opportunity to learn good business skills. Nicely spun. Um, so my experience of this is, or our experience of this is, both on a career level but also on advisory, is that you get promoted because you're good at PR. Mm -hmm. And then you find yourself in a management role. And if you're lucky, you get given good training. And if you're not, you flounder around until you work it out. Back to Kristen's point about making mistakes. And I can only think about my own career. You know, I got... I was a good PR practitioner. I got promoted to the board quite quickly. And I was lucky enough to have a brilliant finance director at Fleischmann Hillard who sat me down and said, you probably need to understand all of this, Richard. <laughs> and I kind of went, well, I'm not sure if I do. And she said, no, no, you really do. And she pushed me to learn it. As a result of that, you know, I found the rest of my career much easier because I understood what the bosses in America or, or, or London were saying. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think if you look at what's going on, there's an awful lot of training in the practice of public relations mm. in the UK and Europe. There's not a lot around the business. And, you know, it's it's 10 years, I think, since I was chairman of the PRCA and we published Neil Backwith's book. Yeah. So, you know, it's probably overdue. I think a decade is not unreasonable time to want another <laughs> one. Um, so I think I think on the whole, it's not seen as, as important. Having said that, I certainly know from my own experience and from clients that the big network agencies often take it more seriously mm. now. And if you're running a small to medium-sized agency, sometimes you don't have the time to step back and do it. Mm. But I, I think it's one of those things, and I always say I was at a, at a client yesterday talking to their account directors, and I said you need to understand the agency model and how you make money if you want to progress because – you can progress, but it'll be a bit of a shock when you get to the boardroom if you don't understand how it yeah, works. Absolutely. And, Kristen, what's your take on that? Well, I, I think it's a great question because um, we quite often say to agency owners we work with that they will they have the potential to be simultaneously the reason why their company will succeed and also why it will fail. Okay. Um, and therefore, they really have to understand the value that they can deliver to their agency. And if if commercial skills isn't their natural strength, then one of the choices they should exercise right at the outset is to partner with someone who has. Okay. And it, I think if you look back through the last, you were, you were very kind enough to say I started very young. Um, <laughs> uh, if you look at some of the most successful agencies over the last 30 years, there was a, a brilliant partnership between people who were awesome at the, at the, at the skill of, of communication consulting and someone who is really good on the commercials um, I mean an agency that springs to mind for me would be um, red yeah um, who, who were brilliant at the consulting piece but had very very sound partner in it, making sure the numbers worked and so I, I'm not sure that bringing in a CEO or a CFO is necessarily top of priority for for new fledgling agencies it's all about bringing in the creatives and the and the communicators would you advise that that is a that kind of management role if it's not something that comes naturally to you should be a priority in the growth of the agency do you want to start that one yeah i think i think well the the easiest way of doing it and he i would say this as a consultant is to bring in a non-exec or a consultant to provide it on an affordable basis okay. like you, you guys absolutely <laughs> funny that no. um but 
you know, putting that to one side, I think a team, it's often better to start an agency as a team, two yeah. of you, because it's a lot, it's hard work. Let's not make any bones about it. And, uh, you know, if you want to know if your agency is going to work, you probably need to halve, halve your predicted income and double your costs. And if it's still there, it's probably a business. So that needs somebody who can look after the clients and lead the practice of, of the delivery of the campaigns, but also somebody who's looking after the numbers. I say, initially, that doesn't have to be full time, but it mm. needs to be. And if you look at the great agencies that have grown up over the years, Red's a good example, um, Shine, um, Fleischmann Hillard worldwide grew out of three people, mm. you know, back in the 70s and 60s. You know, they've all had very robust business underpinnings yeah so that when they opened new offices they knew how to do it and it all worked so i think i think it's it, it comes hand in hand with um the practice side of it what are the implications if you don't focus on the business side of your agency as it grows well i've got a couple i'll start with in case people join in i mean i think i think first of all you're going to create less value mm. both for yourself quality of your life and the work you do but also for your clients and therefore the organization um that's going to be worth less value and i think on a personal level, you're probably going to be more tired and your staff will be more tired mm. because they're going to be running very hard if you're giving too much time away for free or you're not charging properly or you're not retaining, retaining people properly so you lose the corporate memory. So there's a couple that, that spring to mind. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think it's an interesting question because um, I, I guess cutting to the chase, you're more likely to end up disappointed. Mm. Um, and I, and, I, and Funnily enough, only this morning I was talking to uh, one of my agency clients who has been approached by an acquirer, and they've been talking for about six months, and the acquirer finally put an offer in, which was exactly half what the agency owner hoped it would be. Oh, gosh. Um, and the reason it was exactly half what the agency owner hoped it would be is because hadn't really thought about making it good enough to sell from day one mm. so there were certain choices that have been made over the last two or three years which meant one year wasn't as good as it could have been um, there wasn't a second tier of management coming through so the acquirer knew they would have to depend on the agency owner hanging around um, I mean we got the, the final chapter is about being good enough to sell and as you said do people have to read it start to finish I mean they don't they could start with that chapter if they wanted yeah um, because I think there's a checklist in there that you really have to you have to tick off if 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 you want um, to get to your destination and not be dis disappointed. So run us through some of the things on that checklist. How do you make an agency good enough to sell from the off? Well, I think if if first of all you th th think think about it from the perspective of an acquirer and what they would want. So if you're up for sale, first thing they're going to ask is what happens if you leave, mm -hmm. and if you leave, there has to be a there has to be a second tier that carries stuff on. Um, they're going to want they're going to want to believe that there is going to be continuing uh, top line and bottom line growth. So they and they will look back to see that if there's a trend for that. Um, they'll want to think that the service mix you've got will continue that growth curve. Mm -hmm. So are you are you still ploughing a tried and trusted furrow that is that is that is declining, or or have you innovated and and got something that is generating real value? Um, They'll probably also do things which are counterintuitive, I think, to most agency owners, which is they'll, they'll look and see how much you're taking out. Okay. Some people will think that therefore means they should take less out, so they show more profit. Whereas the smart thing to do is to take a lot out, because that makes you someone they're very keen to get rid of. Because if they can put a manager in that costs them less to run it than you do... Okay. They've just unlocked profit. Very strategic. Okay. So, I mean, there, there's a few. You, yeah, there's two more. It just strike me is um, you'll see a lot of acquirers now going to talk to clients 
as part of the due diligence process. Really? So, well, because if you think about forward-looking income, the great thing about the, the, the problem with past performance is just that. It's past. It's no indicator of future performance. So if you're looking to where your agency is going to go, you need to look at two things, the clients and the staff. So you'll see interviews with staff. Do they understand the purpose? Are they motivated? Are they well looked after? Are they properly remunerated? Um, do they feel that the agency has a future? The same with clients. So what's the relationship like? So there's a lot of those things, which means that you have to look at your client relationships, how you build loyalty, yeah. and how you can create advocates. And with your staff as well, we know there's a lot of shortage of good quality people in parts of the country. Um, so that means you have to work hard at giving them a reason to turn up every day. Okay. Um, you touched on innovation, Crispin. What role does that play in building a successful agency and making it ready to sell? Uh, it, it delivers, well, interestingly about innovation is it can be su- super valuable or it can be quite destructive. Okay. And it really depends on, on timing. Um, so timing, you can look at timing from two things. Uh, is it the right time for the market? If you're too early, no one's going to buy it. You put a lot of energy in. You have to educate. You spend lots of stuff, but you actually don't get much return. Um, if if you get the it, you time it right and you ride the wave of, of, of a growth, then then you you could look very exciting as an agency. Mm-hmm. So I think working out that um, thinking about the proximity to an exit, if you want an exit, is also really important because if you're going to spend a lot of time and effort and money in building a new service. Um, that you don't have then time to recoup, mm. you'll actually damage the value of your agency. So um, I think innovation is one of those double-edged swords. If you do it well, then you'll be exciting to pretty much every audience out there. Uh, in, talent will want to join you, and they'll probably stay longer. Clients the same, and acquirers will get, will get really, really quite interested. So um, getting it right, there are, there are definitely some very good payoffs mm-hmm. and less sexy side of innovation but I think important commercially is to look at how you innovate around your internal processes and services oh so, god that is not sexy no it is but not tell sexy me more, but well, I can tell you that if the reason why people should care about this deeply unsexy part um, on average your UK PR agency gives away around 20-25% of its time for free so as I often say, Fridays are free. You can all stay at home. You're not being paid for it. Ouch. Um, so if you innovate around how you handle your clients and how you reduce it over-servicing, mm-hmm. that's margin straight to the bottom line, which you can either invest in um, innovation and client service or people or take more out of the business. So there are, there are two sides to the innovation. Okay. The neat, the neat thing, too, I think about the internal thing is that, is that pretty much everyone who works for you has probably got a good idea about how they could do things better. Okay. Um, Richard was sharing one with me earlier, which I've seen in one of my clients, which is things like monthly reports to clients. Uh, I've got one agency who has three systems they, the staff have to fill with the same data for different reports. So they're all losing the will to live by uh, then. Uh, not only is it superbly demotivating, but it also means, as, as Richard said, that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of hours of wasted time that, that could be billable or people at home enjoying yeah. their life. Um, looking, talent, looking at talent slightly more um, forensically, this is always an issue for any agency, attraction and retention. Let alone when you're starting out and you need to build the right team from scratch and get the right people. What are the big challenges here and what are the mistakes that lots of young agencies make? It comes back to purpose. I don't think agencies make what working there will be like clear enough through the effort they put into describing right. their purpose. Okay. Uh, and I think a really great purpose will, will, will attract the right people. 
Um, I think one of the interesting things about any kind of marketing, if you like, or promotion is, um, and, 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 and this is a mistake agencies make a lot, is that they try, Richard used the word vanilla, they try and make their proposition appeal to as many people as possible, yeah. which means it appeals to relatively few. And it's much, much better to have something which is so obviously compelling to one audience yeah. that another audience looking at it says, that's not for me. The Marmite principle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you should, so you should make it completely Marmite when it comes to um, hiring people. Um, and I think the other big mistake that agencies make is that the people doing the recruiting recruit in their own image, which is good for some jobs, but mm -hmm. not all jobs in the agency. Yeah. Um, and for the, for the jobs where it's right, brilliant because then you're going to get you're going to get the return you expect but for jobs where it isn't the right fit you should have someone else involved in that process yeah. that understands what the role requires and why this other person which might be boring you rigid across the table is yeah. perfect for what you're wanting to hire and kind for. of embracing that tension a bit as well also yeah. i think it's probably impossible to build a diverse agency team if you're just recruiting people who are like yeah. you yeah and i'd agree and i think i think the other thing i would say is you in the same way as you need to charge based on your experience from your previous role. I think you need to run your people in the same way as you would have done if it was a bigger organization from day one. Okay. So spend the time to put the processes in for personal development plans that are linked to your purpose. Spend the time to make sure that they get regular coaching as they go so it's not a surprise it, that they get reviewed every six months, yeah. that the objectives fit what you're trying to do for the organization. Because once that's in place from day one, and great induction, I should say, which is one thing many people miss out. Um, Onboarding, then... I think we call it now, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> induction. <laughs> <laughs> no, onboarding, induction, or whatever it might be. But all those things make a big difference to people's... Um, view of you and assuming you've got a clear differentiated proposition and purpose then they'll come and talk to you if you onboard them well develop them well mm. and review them well then they may well stay and i think the other thing on on this is is not to get too hung on the, up on the fact that you're going to get staff turnover okay. in your early days and you know it's healthy to have 10 15 staff turnover a year anyway but some people won't fit yeah and you know it's better to admit that and accept that you've made a bad call and move on rather than try and hang on to people that I'm don't taking fit it your... personally Banishing well, them. Well, PR people take everything terribly it's personally because I mean, people. this is and this is actually it's it, it's a it's a it's worth considering that when you start an agency or when whatever you're doing, when you're thinking about starting an agency or you're running your division in a bigger company better or you want to um, run your existing agency better, is apart from knowing where you're going and what your purpose is, you need to learn to be respected first and liked second. Needy PR people are not attractive and they're not valued by clients. Okay. So if you're starting up your agency, learn learn not to be liked but be respected. And okay. then if the like comes second, that's great. I think that's going to be a challenge for a lot of people though, don't you? A lot of people don't like it. Yeah. They want to be liked. And, and, and just as a throwaway line in terms of over-servicing problems, if I go and see an agency and I ask the team, how is it going? And they invariably turn around and go, the client's happy. Yeah. And I say, ah, you have a mindset problem. I'm not asking about their emotional welfare. I'm asking how the client is yeah. and they go oh I said so do you have measurable objectives are you meeting your KPIs on the process it's very boring but it's much better than judging your success by the emotional well-being of a person on the end of the phone yeah absolutely <laughs> um as you two are seasoned pros and you've been doing this for a little while as I said but um as you were researching and writing the book and pulling it together did you come up with any kind of new thoughts or new observations well I think the last thing you were talking about you know talent uh, I think 15 years ago, 
if you ask people about if they leave, would they ever go back? You'd have that old adage, you know, never go back type of thing. Mm. I think one of the things we're beginning to see is that if people have been, if people have been treated well, um, nothing wrong with them saying, I want to go and see what else is out there. Mm-hmm. But if they've been treated well, then what we're beginning to see is is, is the uh, the concept of returners, people who are saying that was actually a really good company mm-hmm. and I'm ready to go back. Um, and uh, I think the ability to attract back talent, which has developed since they left, but yeah. you know what you're going to get because you they, they've worked for you before, yeah. could actually be one of those things which really does help agencies um, win the battle for talent because it's really tough finding great people so I think if 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 agency leaders recognize that sometimes it's good for people to leave but they should sow the seeds of of, of, of yeah. the return um, they could do themselves a big favor we saw I, I saw this as a trend when I was doing my agency of the year visits actually that we always ask about retention rates and we're starting to be told about the boomerang staffers who are coming back hope and glory i think had a negative attrition rate (laughs) one year because more people came back from in-house or agency or sabbaticals than had actually left that year um and it's definitely a thing isn't it? it's like celebrate them going wave them off welcome back with open arms if you know if you want them back obviously yeah, otherwise well, I, bring up the drawbridge. And, and, and I think, if, you know, mentioning hope and glory, I think that's a brilliant story because um, they, they've clearly made, I mean, whether they talk about purpose or not, I don't know, but they, they've clearly made the experience of working there mean something to people. So yeah. it's clear what value the individual get when they go back. Um, and, and, but you have, to, you have to lay those foundations. I mean, people, most people don't think they have as many choices open to them as, as they really have mm. and I think that's true of employees I think if they leave maybe they can't come back but if you make it clear that, that, that being a boomerang is possible mm. um, with the right circumstances then um, you're you know you're it's, back, tr- it's back to that bit about being respected in business mm. I don't have to be liked but if you liked working for me if you enjoyed it and it worked well then that's good I think the other thing I've seen uh, while we're looking at the book is um, actually the number of agencies that are innovating and one of the reasons we put the chapter in is it's important but we're seeing more commercial innovation, and I think yeah. that's important. A lot of it is misguided, and, and the chapter explains why that might be and what, how you might do it better. But I think as an industry, we were stagnant for quite a long time, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. And um, I think now that social media and digital certainly given people a chance to uh, innovate, whether they're making good money out of it, again, yeah. is debatable. Um, but I, you know, I think we're beginning to see the the, uh, the green shoots of proper commercial innovation, which yeah. which is encouraging. But I would I would encourage everybody to look at that because it is one of the key drivers to growth. I was speaking to a French agency called Gin this morning, and they have a lab which they set up a couple of years ago specifically to develop new digital-based tech um, and AI-based tech mm-hmm. to help their clients on stuff that is nothing to do with comms. So they have stuff that is like for sales processes, mm-hmm. to help with pitching. They're developing that into a media training tool, but they've just set it up as a kind of a complete side hustle. So they've got the tools they need to mm-hmm. help their clients do more than PR and comms well. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with you. We're seeing lots of examples of, of really cool, innovative yeah, stuff, absolutely. which is all, a lot of it's driven by, you know, the possibilities of digital and tech now as well. well. Also, I mean, let's face it, you know, the margins in PR consultancy are quite low yeah. and there's nothing quite like a, an app or a piece of technology that you can multiply. <laughs> like an app. And, and, you know, if it works. So I think I can see that as attractive from a commercial point of view. 
Um, so if uh, if our readers, is this on? A, is there a Kindle version of this? There's a Kindle version. If, if I download this on my Kindle and I'm an agency owner and I've got like twenty people and I've been doing this for a few years, um, what would you want the things that they highlight on their Kindle to be? Name like one thing that you want them to take away, Crispin. One thing. One thing. Pick one thing they want to highlight. That's a really hard question because it really depends I'm not on. Sorry. <laughs> it really depends on where they are in in uh, in their on their personal journey. Okay. Um, if they want their business to succeed sustainably, then I would say develop your people. Okay. And for me, it's a realization that they are the ones running their agency and they have choices. And I think a lot of people in the PR industry feel that the clients and the lack of staff and the staff turnover and client demands are running their businesses, mm -hmm. and they often are. But I would like people to understand that they have control over their businesses, and it's their choices. Yeah. It's nobody else's fault. It's their call. Um, and you will get clients that misbehave and staff that misbehave. But ultimately, if you've got a good framework in place, which you know our term chapters does provide you, um, you should be able to make choices that you, you may not like all of them you have to make, but mm -hmm. you should be able to make most of them, which gives you more control. And, and really, if you're going to run a business like PR, you need to run the business around the life you want. You don't want to hand your life over to PR because it's a never-ending process. You know, you're never going to be finished. So you really need to make those choices that give you what you want out of it. And it comes back to Crispin's earlier point, you're going to be disappointed otherwise. And, you know, yeah. we don't want that. So are you two still friends after writing a book together? <laughs> what was the creative process like? How did that work? Um, to be honest, it's one of the easiest things I've ever done because um, Richard and I... Uh, are unbelievably complementary. Not nice to each other, but in terms of, uh, we're, we're a very good balancing act. Um, the the ten chapters split down the middle very e evenly into things that he's brilliant at and things that I'm reasonable at. So um, uh, yeah, it was it was very easy and quite um, good fun. And um, yeah, it was fun. Um, we wrote our chapters and then swapped them for editing and, and reviewing, which is always interesting. You know, yeah. you have to have a robust personality when it comes back. Um, but yeah. no, it's it's been great. And where's the book available? Well, it's available on Amazon. Um, a whole variety of, of sellers have got it on Amazon. Um, as you said, both hardback and Kindle. Uh, also available via the PRCA and their publisher Emerald, for who we are very grateful for supporting this enterprise. Absolutely. Well, um, good luck with it. And uh, thank you both for joining me in the Echo Chamber with lots of advice, which is both deeply practical and deeply sexy as ever from you both. Uh, lovely to see you and um, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Today.